Please do grab a seat. Let me have my welcome onto John's. My name's Craig. I'm the minister in training here. And let me offer you a special warm welcome if you are uh, visiting us this morning or perhaps looking into the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we start, I want us to picture the scene. It's September. The year's 1960. It's the Olympics in Rome, and the runners for the marathon are taking their place. A New Zealander called Ray Puckett looks over at a runner called Abebe Bikala and with, with no shoes on, and he says to his mate, I'm sure it'll be him at the very least. One, comment, one commentator says, Who is this Ethiopian runner, this man with no shoes? Well, the baby was unknown, but all the comments showed one thing. In order to reach your full potential as a runner, you need more than just bare feet. Everyone thought that a baby needed something more than what he already had to be a great runner. Well, as history tells us, a short time later, he went on to win the marathon beat the world record, and from then on, Ethiopia became the running powerhouse it is today. So he didn't need something else. He didn't need something more. He had all that he needed. As I mentioned in uh, the kids' talk this morning, we're going to spend three weeks or so looking at the beginning of Paul's letter to the Colossians. They were a church that, that wanted more, Or perhaps were in in danger of thinking they needed more. Here's how the church probably started. There was a man called Epaphras. He heard the gospel, most likely from Paul. And he came to Colossae and he planted a church there. And the people loved it. He taught the gospel and they grew more and more. But after a while, while they felt like they needed more, more Knowledge, more fullness, more experience. To them, Epaphras, he was, he was a great primary school teacher. He laid a great solid foundation, the ABCs of the Christian life. But then some others came along. If Epaphras was this primary teacher with the excellent foundations, they were, I guess, like university professors. People who thought that Jesus was, was great, but they offered something more, some deep new experiential knowledge. We don't know exactly what it was they were teaching. You can read about some of the threats in chapter 2, we probably won't get that far. But we know that they loved buzzwords like, like fullness, maturity, knowledge. And that danger that the church faced then, well, it's still alive today, isn't it? Perhaps some of us have experienced that. People coming alongside us saying that we need some greater experience, some new religious practice, ritual we have to do. But for many of us, I think it's, it's probably more subtle than that. We may be tempted to think, those Christians over there, if only I can be like them, what do they have that I haven't got? What am I lacking 
that they so clearly have. See, it's good to want more of Christ. But the Colossians were in danger of looking in the wrong place. See, Jesus, he is. Jesus is everything, isn't he? He is the beginning. He is the middle. He is the end of the Christian life. We don't move on from him. If we want to know more of Jesus, we, we dig deeper and deeper and deeper into the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you think, Paul has never met this church. But he wants the Colossians to understand that they have all they need in Christ. They aren't lacking anything. He wants them to dig deeper into the same gospel that Epaphras taught them. And so I think this is the key point of the whole letter, the key verse. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, if you can have it up on the screen. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. That's what Colossians is all about. So let me read our passage for us this morning and then pray. And as we read our passage, Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, just think. Think that the church that this was written to thinks Epaphras' message was good, but that they needed more. Bear that in mind as you read it. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. If you've got one of these church Bibles, we are on page 1182. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me pray. Our Father, we ask that this morning, may you incline our hearts to your word. Not to anything else this world has to offer us. 
Free us from all distractions, we ask. And as we hear your voice, may you open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word this morning. Unite our hearts in the reverent fear of you and satisfy our hearts with all their deepest longings, with your steadfast, faithful love. And it's in the name of Christ, our King, our Saviour, the one in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Two points for us this morning as we go into the next slide. They're really catchy and roll off the tongue. Thanksgiving for gospel fruitfulness through gospel servants. I'm praying for knowledge of the gospel to create fruitful saints. So that's a good verses three to eight. Thanksgiving for gospel fruitfulness through gospel servants. And to help us with this, please do keep your Bible open. What we're going to do is we're going to follow Paul's logic here, trace what he's saying to really bring out his meaning here. Let's see why he's able to say to these people he hasn't met that they're the real deal and give thanks for them. What's his logic that enables him to say that and to thank God for them? Well, we see, don't we, from verse 3, that they have faith in Christ. They have love for all God's people. And have a look at verse 5. These come from the hope stored in heaven. Paul expands on this hope later in the letter. But where's this hope come from? Didn't come out of nowhere, did it? It came, we see, through hearing and understanding the true message of the gospel. The same gospel message that's going out across the world. The same gospel message that's bearing fruits. And where did that gospel message come from? Well, it came from Epaphras. who got it from Christ through Paul. That's Paul's logic here. Think of it this way. This might be a bit more helpful for us. Epaphras, he's got the true message of the gospel. He's got the gospel seed and he has planted it in the lives of the believers in Colossae. He's planted this true message of the gospel and as they heard it, as they understood it, something happened. From that true message of the gospel grew a trunk that is the future hope stored up in heaven. And then from that trunk, from that future hope, it's if two branches grew out of it. Faith in Christ and love for all God's people. That's the logic here. Do you get that? Gospel seed grew into the future hope in heaven. And from that, faith in Christ and love for the saints. Perhaps you hear that. Perhaps we read those verses and you think, I'd love to have my faith in Christ increased. To have faith in Christ that is deeper, richer, stronger, more intimate. Perhaps you read of these people who have a strong faith in Christ and we think, to be honest, this morning I'm struggling to cling to Christ. Perhaps you hear the love for all the saints and, well, if you're honest, the person beside you has just been doing your head in this morning. Or perhaps there's somebody at church who isn't beside you, but you're avoiding them so much, they're on the other side of the hall. 
And you want to love them more, though. For these things, you need to have a, a hope based in heaven. And yet, when we come to this one, we struggle with it as well. Because, well, we just don't think about things that far ahead, do we? We're often so preoccupied in life here and now. It's as if spiritual cataracts might have grown over our eyes that prevent us from thinking of those things, seeing those things far ahead, and all we think about is the here and now. We don't think about things to come. So, so what can we do? What can we do to, to help us? Well, what's Paul's logic? How does it all begin? We listen to the gospel. But I think it's more than that as well. We listen to faithful preachers of the gospel like Epaphras. This is why we're here today, isn't it? To hear the gospel message, the same gospel message Epaphras taught, the same one he got from Paul, who got it from Christ. See, as we listen to faithful preaching, what happens to that gospel seed? Well, the hope in heaven grows stronger. And those branches of faith in Christ, love for the saints, grow more and more. It's not just purely the preaching, though, is it? That was key. Epaphras' preaching was key for that in Colossae. That is key for us in the life of the church. But it's a work of God, though, isn't it? He's the one that grants the growth. Faith in Christ, it's, it's a work of God. God's bringing spiritually dead people to life. People who are once enemies of God now confess him as their saviour and their king. Love for God's people, it's, it's a work of God. It's a love that means you now make personal sacrifices for people who are different than you. It means that you invite people over to your home who perhaps once you wouldn't even talk to. It means that we give up our day off to help other people. And why to do that? Because our allegiance to Christ creates in us a service for his people where there is no favoritism. It's a love that shares possessions with others, that seeks their good. It's a real, genuine love. And hope in heaven, again, a work of God. A work of God that produces confident assurance that the greater blessings are still to come. A work where these things, faith in Christ, love for saints, are just foretastes of something better to come. Let's remember that Christian hope, it's not, it's not based on wishful thinking. It's not based on odds. Rather, Christian hope, it's based in history. Think of Paul's description of the gospel, the true message of the gospel. What is that true message? Well, it's us, rebellious sinners against God. Dead in their sin. But God sent Jesus Christ, his eternal son, to come as a man and live the perfect life. The same Jesus Christ died bearing the wrath of God for our sin. 
died for people who are enemies of God and accredited to them his perfect righteousness. It's the story of Jesus Christ who rose again from the grave, now ascended in heaven and one day shall return to rewrite all wrongs, to judge the living and the dead. And all those who trust in him will be with him forever. It's a hope that's based on the sure and certainty of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So what does that all mean? What does that mean for us in Dundee today? It means that when your hope in heaven is failing, when your faith in Christ is waning, it means that when your love for the saints is decreasing, listen to the gospel preached by our Epaphras the one appointed to preach to us the true message of the gospel, the words of truth that bring life. It means that we don't move on to something else. We don't long for that summer camp high, that post-Christian conference high. We don't go after some religious ritual, but instead we listen to the gospel. And Paul sees this happening And what's his response? Well, he's thankful for it. He hears of this this church and he is thankful for this church. He is thankful for their faithful preacher, Epaphras. Notice how Epaphras is described here. Have a look at verse 7. Our dear fellow servant, faithful minister of Christ. He's a faithful servant. He's... He's not some wise guru. He's a faithful servant, a faithful slave of Christ. He's commended by Paul both here at the start of the letter and at the end of the letter. So, I wondered, how did Epaphras get to be with Paul? How did he hear this news with him? Why is Epaphras now with Paul as he writes this letter? I think you can picture the scene. Think of Epaphras, he's... He's in Colossae working away. He loves this church. He loves the people. And he's just getting more and more discouraged. People leave the church to chase after something that won't help them. It's something that will hurt them. His heart is aching. He's discouraged. So I guess he goes to see Paul. Paul tells him, he tells Paul of everything that's happening. And Paul writes this letter off the back of the visit. Want to turn to chapter 4? Let me read first from verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you. As Will prayed in our pastoral prayers, we are prayerfully looking for a new minister. We want an Epaphras as our minister. Someone who will work hard. 
someone who, who wrestles in prayer, who serves the church faithfully, who presents the gospel that's spreading throughout all the world and bearing fruits. It's why it's so important for us to get an Epaphras. Because their preaching, it directly affects us. Our faith in Christ, our love for the saints, our hope in heaven. So let's follow Paul's example. Thank God for faithful churches. Thank God for faithful preachers. Don't feel threatened when gospel churches grow that are perhaps a little bit different to us. Instead, give thanks to God. Give thanks to God for men like Jim Turrent and Stuart Keir at CBC. Andy Matheson at Lockheed Baptist Chapel. Give thanks to God for those churches, for those preachers of the gospel there. And pray that for us as well, the Lord may provide an Epaphras for Grace Church Dundee as well. I might pray for more Epaphrases to plant churches. I was reading this, uh, this section for us. I was thinking that the story of how this church came to be, well, it's a story that can be replicated and has been time and time again through the work of Friends International. People who hear the gospel somewhere else and then return home, seeking to start a church where there is no church. So pray for the work of Friends International. Speak to Ruth Farker and and others as well to learn how you can serve them more. Invest in relationships with international students. People who perhaps never heard the gospel until they came to Dundee. Speak to Ruth or others about how you can serve Friends International. Thank God for gospel fruitfulness through gospel servants. Next, let's move on to look at praying for knowledge of the gospel to create fruitful saints. I wonder, how can you tell what someone loves? I wonder if you ever thought that question before. How can you tell what, some, what someone loves? How can you tell if someone loves you? Well, I think there's two easy ways to work that out. You can look at the diary, see what they spend their time doing. And you can look at their bank statement, see what they're spending their money on. Look at those two things, and usually it'll tell you what that person loves. But I think there's a third way as well. You listen to what they pray for. Let's see what Paul prays for. Have a look at verse 9. Because of the gospel fruit, which Paul is thankful for, for this reason, he continually asks God to fill them with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives. I want to know what God's will is for my life. Sounds good, doesn't it? How do I have the wisdom and understanding to do that? Where do I go? Well, we pray for it. And ask that God may help us understand that what we already have in Christ, 
that he may help us to immerse ourselves in the gospel story that runs through scriptures like the words in a stick of rock. See, this is the work of the Spirit in our lives, opening our eyes to see who Christ is in his words, giving to us what is Christ's, that what we have in him, that what we have in the gospel. But notice the desired effect of this prayer. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Paul prays that they may make proper use of what they have in Christ so they can better discern the will of God in their lives. Basically, he wants the Christians to believe in Jesus and to obey Jesus. That's what he spends most of the letter unpacking. It's not a radical idea, is it, what he's writing to the Colossians? He did, he did it to the Ephesians as well, didn't he? Saved by grace through faith to the good works prepared for you. It's just Jesus' great commission. Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey. Or in the Old Testament, in Exodus, let my people go that, that they may serve me. As we're reminded in Charleston, we're not saved by obedience, but for obedience. We're not saved by good works, for good works. See, in our salvation in Christ, as we grow in understanding more of the gospel, Paul expects something to happen in us. God expects something to happen in us. We might do something with that. And I think that's amazing, isn't it? God just doesn't, he doesn't save us and then, right, off you go, try and work it out on your own. Brother, he enables us to, to live a life that it's not just satisfactory, but pleases him. The problem is that we, we know we don't do that, but we want to do that. If you're a Christian, I know you want to change, because you see parts of your life that you hate. Paul says to pray that you may know more of Jesus as you read his word. And as you do, your mind is is renewed. It produces practical outcomes. Practical outcomes in all of life, that we can please him in every way. In how we plan our holidays. In how we spend our money. In how we use our time. Guess the more mundane things. How you treat that person who phones you about PPI ten times a day. Affects all of life. Think back to that, that image of the tree. True message of the gospel. Hearing, understanding, that like growing up into the trunk of hope in heaven. From that, the branches of faith in Christ, love for the saints. Paul goes on in the second half of verse 10 to, to explain to us what his life looks like that pleases God. And these are like, like the fruit that hang from the branches of faith in Christ and love for the saints. He gives us four verbs, four ing words, bearing, growing, being, giving. Have a look down at, your, down at your Bibles. First off, bearing, bearing fruit in every good work. As I said, fruit, it's not simply understanding. It's understanding that leads to godliness, which is always practical. Bearing fruit, growing in knowledge of God. 
Learning more about God as he reveals himself in his word. Living in prayerful dependence upon him as we learn more about him. Being strengthened. Have a look at verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So that what? What does Paul say? The might of the glory of the Lord will fully empower you, says Paul. What will empower me to do? Tell us, Paul. He says that this glorious might will enable us to have great endurance and patience. Endurance in impossible situations. Patience with impossible people. This is what being strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might achieves in us. Is that not surprising? Think of those times when there's situations where it feels like well, life's just broken you. You're on your knees, you're exhausted. Think, Father, Why? Help me. I can't do it. I can't take it anymore. Or there's times when you're at school and while you're ridiculed for being a Christian. Or there's times when temptation rages and opposition is violent and you are clinging on by your fingertips. God doesn't give us super strength to break through been our weakness he gives us supernatural power to endure patiently and what does this power look like well it looks like visiting that that ill person that dying person you go to encourage them in the gospel and you see that their patience endurance and you're the one that leaves encouraged It looks like that teenager being ridiculed for following Jesus and still wanting to come on a Sunday to church. It looks like Paul, as he writes, in prison for the gospel, enduring patiently, bearing fruit, increasing in knowledge of God, being strengthened. What happens if the sentence ended here? No matter how good those things were, well, ultimately, I think, at times, it would just look like gritting our teeth, getting through it. I am absolutely miserable. It's going to pass. It's not too bad. It's just a season. Get your head down. Get on with it. It's not what Paul teaches. He goes on to one more ing word. One more verb. Have a look at it. Giving joyful thanks to the Father for salvation. So let's think what Paul has just said. Enduring patiently. We get that. Life's hard. Annoying, frustrating, and yet joyful, 
thanks. How can Paul say that? How can those two things possibly go together? It's a paradox, surely, isn't it? Well, let's see what it is we're giving joyful thanks to the Father for. Because Paul seems to think that when we grasp this, whatever it is we're enduring through, when we grasp this, it'll change everything and bring that joy and thankfulness. Have a look at verses 12 to 14. Let me read them for us again. And joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Think of the church in Colossae, this being read out to them. And that, that idea of wanting more, wanting something else. Well, you read this and it seems a bit stupid, doesn't it? We don't need any more. Think of a baby in that race. He had all he needed to win that race. He didn't need those new trainers. We have all we need in Christ to live and grow as a Christian. Verses 12 to 14, this is what we received when we understood that gospel message. This is what chapter 2 verse 6, that key verse, is telling us to continue in. Because when our eyes are raised above, as we are reminded about the true message of the gospel, as our eyes are taken off ourselves and we uncurl from ourselves, we are filled with joyful thanks for our salvation. This is why you have moments like you go into hospice and you find Christians singing. Because they get this. If you're here and, and you're a Christian, well, these verses, what they teach should be everything for you. Because this is what we want to know better. These verses are about your salvation, my salvation. Just look at what it teaches, that this is all this, what we have in Christ, this is God's will, this is God's doing, this is God's work, and so this is good news for us. In Christ you have present qualification now, not when you die. Why not pray these verses for yourself every morning over the next week? Think of your fellowship group. Pray these verses for them. Why not text them to someone? Remind them that God has rescued you. He has transferred you. He has transformed you. You know, stand fit before God, accepted in the righteousness of Christ. In him you are redeemed. In him you are forgiven. In him you have a future inheritance, sure and certain. That was wonderful news for the Christian, isn't it? But keep looking at these verses. If you're here and you aren't a Christian, have a look at verse 13. 
This is where it says you are. You are in the domain of darkness. You don't need to make yourself good to be accepted by God. The point is here that you can't. God has to do everything. Instead, see the point Paul is making here. He's saying he has qualified us. He has delivered us. And so this good news is available for you too. If you believe in the true message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. It's, well, it's good news, isn't it? That all conditions... For wicked, selfish sinners like you and I have been met in Christ. So as one commentator says, we no longer need to be a slave of our history because we're not in that kingdom. We're now in the kingdom of the Son. Look again at verses 12 to 14. May we never move from this gospel. Instead, pray to know it more as we mine deeper and deeper into the true message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one in whose kingdom we now live. The one in whom we have redemption. The one in whom we have forgiveness of sins. Let me pray. Our Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for the true message of the gospel. We thank you for the salvation that you have given us in Christ. May you help us to never drift from it, but to grasp it more and more. Help us to grow in thankfulness for us and thankfulness for other churches. And so we pray for the likes of CBC and Lockheed Baptist and, and Grace Church Dundee. And we pray for their Epaphrasus there for Jim and Stuart, for Andy Matheson. And may you provide uh, an Epaphras for Grace Church Dundee. And so we say the same for us as well. May you provide one here also. And we thank you for David. Thank you for his gospel preaching over the last decades. Lord Jesus, we marvel at your grace. Where else can we go but come to you? So please forgive us, we ask, when we do not love our fellow saints, where we ignore our faith in you, where we don't care about our future hope. Instead, help us to dig deeper into the gospel and so renew our strength Renew our hope, renew our faith in you, renew our love for the saints. And pray all these things for your glory, Lord Jesus, so that we may know you better and love you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen.